Trinity Baptist Church. For those of you that know me, you know I've been struggling with my health for the past year and a half. Um, one of the more challenging parts of it has been the lack of clarity of exactly what's going on. Um, as my doctor recently said to me, uh, these markers that we found in your blood indicate that your body is attacking itself. But on their own, they don't tell us why. And that's been a microcosm of the past year and a half for me. And I have to admit, at times, I've been trapped in fear. Fear that they will never find out what's going on. Fear that I will never be healed. Fear that my wife is doomed to a horrible life because of me. Um, fear that this is a consequence of something I've done wrong. Not a punishment, but a consequence in that I will live forever without joy or happiness. And then Jesus found me. He found me at 2 a.m. on my knees one morning. And he said, Joe, do you believe in me? I said, yeah, I'm talking to you right now. You know, I believe in you. He said, but do you really believe in me? Do you believe when I say, I know the plans I have for your life, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future? And that came at a moment where the pressure of the situation, the pressure of not being able to work, the pressure of disappointing loved ones every time they see you, was like a vice around me, squeezing me. And in that moment, it just released. All the fear, everything that came with it released. And I was no longer gripped by this fear. I was free. Um, today, I'm not better. It was not a promise that you'll be healed. It was a promise that you can have joy, you can have happiness, and you can have peace in the midst of the fight. And though we have some clarity, I'm still continuing to figure out exactly what to do, but I have the peace of the Lord in my heart, and I am free. My name is Joe Rogers, and I'm free. Thank you. Now a reading from Matthew. Therefore, if you're offering your guilt at the altar, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and the the officer may have you thrown in prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. I thought we would start this morning by talking about church etiquette for a minute. Um, and I think you'll see where, where I'm going with this in a moment. But let's talk for for instance, about how we're supposed to greet one another. We did this a few minutes ago, but is there a right way and a wrong way to greet? Um, Emily Post, how many of you are familiar with Emily Post? Okay, she kind of wrote the Bible on etiquette years ago, and she had something to say about greeting people in church. Here's what she said, and keep in mind, she wrote this in 1922, Okay, here's what she said. People do not greet each other in church, except at a wedding. 
It would be shocking to enter a church and hear a babble of voices. Ordinarily in church, if a friend happens to catch your eye, you smile but never actually bow. You do not greet anyone until you are out on the church steps when you naturally speak to your friends. And hello, the word hello, should not be said on this occasion because it is too familiar for the solemnity of church surroundings. Now, with all due respect to Miss Post, I think we can throw that out, right? I mean, this is a place, as Beth wonderfully um, explained earlier, this is a place where we want everybody to be welcome. We want everyone to, to feel like they're a part of something that's bigger than them. And so we want, we want to greet each other well. But I think there are some other rules that we need, to, we need to think about, some other church etiquette things. For example, some people leave their cell phone on ring mode during service. How do we feel about that? Is that it's not good etiquette, right? So let's, I'd like to institute a new rule today. If anyone's phone goes off during service... That person has to buy pizza for everybody in church that day. Good rule? Good rule? Are we down with that? Okay. Um, in some churches, when a guest comes in and asks for directions to something, you know, maybe, you know, where's the ladies' room or where's the children's ministry, a longtime attendee will just kind of go, oh, it's over there. And turn and walk away. Is that okay? No. Not good etiquette. So I think we ought to have a rule that if somebody asks you a question like that, you say, hey, let me take you to that place. Let me show you where it is. And if you don't know, then you say, hey, let me find somebody who does know where it is and I'll take and, and we'll figure it out. Good rule? Okay. Good. We're, we're making some changes. I like that. Um, or sometimes during a worship, uh, during worship or during a sermon, I'm told that people will actually be on their phone checking their Facebook page. Are we okay with that? No. The only Facebook in here should be your face in this book. All right. Good rule. Okay. We're making some progress. One day, Jesus decided that he was going to introduce a new rule of etiquette in worship. And this one rocked everybody's world. Still does. For some folks here this morning, this is going to lead to conversations that will be super hard and yet incredibly liberating. We're in this series called Free, where we've been looking at um, different choices that we can make that will help us to be free. And as we established the, the first week of this series, freedom is not doing whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. We know that, that that just is an unworkable definition. You see, we're, we're constantly confronted with choices to make, and some choices are, are 
are freeing, and some are keep us in bondage. And so we've been looking at these choices, and this morning we come to this choice that I have called flight versus fight, in which we're going to talk about dealing with conflict. We all have conflict, right? Yeah? <laughs> it's, it's unavoidable. Um, but the thing is, if you carry conflict around with you and you don't know how to deal with it, it will suck the life right out of you and you will not live free. Now, for most of us, our tendency when we have conflict is to avoid it. We want to run away. Anybody here genuinely enjoy conflict? Oh, man. <laughs> don't, don't have a conversation with Mike. He'll just pick a fight with you. And... Okay, so, so there's like one person here. We'll, we'll talk later. Nobody other than Mike really enjoys conflict. And so we have a tendency toward flight. We want to run away. We want to avoid it. But if we want to live free, when it comes to conflict, most of the time we need to choose to fight. Now you say, wait a minute, Keith. You're telling me that I'm supposed to fight with others? Yeah. But maybe not in the way you're thinking about fight. This is how Webster defines fight. It says, to contend in battle or physical combat, especially to strive to overcome a person by blows or weapons. Um, that's what we tend to think of when we think of fight. And so when we are in conflict with someone, we want to overcome them. And if, and if we need to come to blows or I need to use weapons, then I'll do that. Because I want to win. I want to overcome. What you may not be aware of is that there's a second definition in Webster to fight. And it says this, to put forth a determined effort. To put forth a determined effort. What I want us to think about this morning is how to put forth a determined effort in conflict. An effort that leads to health and life and freedom. I hope you're not in conflict right now. I hope that all of your relationships are just rocking along wonderfully. But even if they are, you're going to need this someday. Because conflict is inevitable. So this morning, we're going to look at a few biblical principles for how to engage in conflict, how to fight well, if you will, in a way that ideally brings reconciliation, but even if it doesn't bring reconciliation, it still brings freedom. Let's start by defining conflict. This is, how many of you have read Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker? A handful of us. Great book. Um, and... It's just chock full of stuff, and, and so a lot of what you're going to hear this morning, I've kind of picked and pulled some things out of, out of various places in, in his book, but I would recommend that you, you read the whole thing. Um, Ken Sandy defines conflict in this way. He says, conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose 
that frustrates someone's goals or desires. Conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. Now that's a very broad definition that can cover everything from where you want to eat dinner to taking somebody to court. But it's, it's, some, it's, it's a difference that frustrates someone, else, someone else's goals or desires. So with that in mind, let's think for a moment of this new rule that Jesus introduced, um, this new rule of church eti- etiquette that Jesus introduced in Matthew 5. And this is the text that Joe read to us just a moment ago. Jesus says, so if you, you come to, to worship God and you have a gift to bring him and you're approaching the altar and this is a holy moment. This is a, a really important moment. And he says, but while, while you're doing that, you happen to remember a relationship in your life that's, that's kind of broken. You've said something or done something to another person that has frustrated their goals or desires and it's not resolved. What should you do? Now, rabbis in Jesus' day would argue about this. They would, they would argue over whether or not if you have begun one duty, if it's ever okay to stop that duty and do something else. And they, they landed in this place where they said, well, if, if one duty is really more important than the other one, then you can stop this one and do the really important one. And so we look at this scenario that Jesus paints where you're in worship and you're coming to bring your gift toward God, to God, and, and we would think, well, that's really important, right? I mean, having your devotion, expressing your devotion to God is way more important than, than dealing with somebody else, right? That's what we would expect Jesus to say. Jesus would say, yeah, you, you finish, your, finish your work with God and then go deal with the person. But that's not what Jesus says. In fact, he says exactly the opposite. He says, I want you to interrupt your worship. I want you to leave your gift. I want you to leave the altar. I want you to leave the church. Get out of there and go deal with that relationship. Jesus says, for God, people come first. For God, relationships, treating people right, actually come first. That's how important it is. In other words... If I knowingly allow an unreconciled relationship to just linger, if I indulge that, if if there are amends that I could have made, but I haven't made them, and then I go to church and I sing songs and and I give gifts and I put my face in the book, you know, and 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 but I'm doing that all the while I'm blowing somebody off that I have broken relationship with. I'm not pleasing God. In fact, I'm dishonoring God. It made me wonder when I thought about this passage, when Jesus was teaching this, because he was dead serious, it made me wonder if people got up while he was talking. I wonder, while Jesus was talking, if somebody thought, man, I have this brother that 
that I've done something that's frustrated one of their goals or one of their desires and I need to go and make that right. I, I have this brother and we've got this relationship's this relationship that's broken or, or I, this person in my life that, that I've, you know, I've wronged in some way and I need to go make that right. I wonder if anybody had that conviction and then got up to leave the room while Jesus was talking. Um, I wonder if, if Jesus... When he saw that person get up, if Jesus said, hey, wait a minute, where are you going? I'm talking up here. You think he did that? Because I bet somebody got up because they were convicted. And when they did, I bet Jesus said, hey, way to go. Way to go. I'm going to cheer you on because you're doing this right. Friends, today during this sermon, and I'm really serious about this. Because one of our core values is being doers of the word. And one of our core values is being reconcilers. And so if at any point today, if, if you're feeling the Holy Spirit convict you because of a relationship that's broken and you feel like you just need to go and you need to start taking some steps to reconcile that, um, then we're going to cheer you. We're going to say, way to go. Way to go. Because in here, we're a me too church. Right? If there's broken relationships, I just say me too. Need to, need to you know, set things right with people? Yeah, me too. We're a me too church. So if you feel that conviction and you need to go, we're going to say, you go, buddy, me too. All right? You see, God says reconciliation takes priority over worship. And that's huge. Some of us should not be in here right now. Reconciliation takes priority over worship. And it doesn't really matter if you're the offender or the offended. You need to take the initiative. When? As soon as possible. You don't delay. You don't postpone. Some of us have been putting this off for weeks or months or some of us for years. And if you're putting off the effort to reconcile, then I guarantee you, you're living in bondage. You are not free. So the first thing we need to see from the scriptures regarding fighting well, regarding putting forth a determined effort, is that we need to take the initiative. We need to make it a priority and reach out to that person. And let me give you just four real quick suggestions on how to do that, how to to take the initiative and and have a meeting with somebody um, that you're in conflict with. First, choose the right time. Choose a time when both of you are at your best. Um, You you don't want to just drop a bomb on somebody. Right? You want to choose a time when, when you're at your best and they're at, at their best. You can't just, um, maybe you've been thinking about it and thinking about it and you're ready to talk and you've got your, all your ducks are in a row, but they don't have a clue and they're not ready to talk. You don't want to just drop a bomb on somebody. And friends, I've been guilty of this. You know, just walk in, hey, boom. And then, 
Where did that come from? You know, you want to say something like, hey, there's, there's this issue between us that, that is really important, and, and I, I'd really like for us to talk about it. When would be a good time for you? You give them a heads up so that they know this is coming. Second, choose the right place. You don't do it anywhere. You don't, you know, you're not down in coffee hour and you just say, hey, buddy, let's, you know, where everybody's around. You find a place where there's some privacy, wherever, where you can be, both of you can be comfortable um, so that you can have, you know, a real meaningful conversation. Third, you pray before you meet. You need to go to the Lord and say, God, you know, I'm scared to do this. I, I'm not Mike, and I don't like conflict. Um, you know, I, I, I'm anxious about this, and so I need you to give me peace. I need you to give me the words. I need, I need you to help me to, to be able to, to really communicate well with this person. And fourth, you come with a positive attitude. You, you come to work on the problem, not attack the person. Big difference. Friends, so often when we're in conflict, we think the issue is really the other person. But it's not. The issue is this thing out here. And what we need to do is we need to come and say, hey, we're on the same team here. Let's attack this thing out here. Let's attack the issue. And so you come not with guns blazing so that you can nail that person. You come saying, hey, how can we fix this thing? So the first thing we need to do is we take initiative. Um, Now you say, well, Keith, what if they never want to talk? That's a great question. And full disclosure, I am in conflict with a person right now and I don't even really know what the conflict is. All I know is I have reached out and reached out and reached out. And this person won't respond. I've sent text messages. I've left voicemails. And, and they won't respond. What do I do with that? Well, I'm encouraged by what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, do not repay anyone evil for evil. In other words, if people push your buttons, you don't push their buttons back. If they attack you, you don't attack back. He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Notice that Paul didn't say, didn't just say, live at peace with everyone. See, God gives us two caveats. He says, if it is possible, if it is possible, if you reach out and reach out and reach out and, and the, the, the person you're reaching out to is non-responsive, then it's just not possible to live at peace with that person because that person is not engaging in dialogue as far as it depends on you you've been doing all you can all you can all you know to do maybe it's not everything you could do but it's everything you know to do if you're 
if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, you give it your best shot to live at peace. Um, similarly, similarly, sometimes it's not that people are unresponsive, but sometimes you just can't please them. Anybody know somebody that you just can't please? And don't be throwing elbows, you know. <laughs> Jen's down there going, um, right? I mean, you, you do everything you know that you think you know you ought to do, and you just can't please the person. Sometimes it's just not possible. But Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Ken Sandy says, even if others refuse to respond to your efforts to make peace, you can find comfort, and I would add freedom, in the knowledge that God is pleased with your obedience. See, when you have unresolved conflict, unresolved tension with someone, and you haven't done everything that you can as far as it depends on you, you haven't done all that you can to resolve it, you are living in a state of bondage that keeps you, um, uh, that keeps you from really enjoying life, that keeps you from experiencing uh, peace and freedom. But if, you're, if you've given it your best shot, really, sincerely given it your best shot, then you can say, hey, I, I gave it my best shot. And you can live free with that. You know, if, if there's somebody in your life right now that if they walked in, in the back door, or if they walked in the door of the church and you saw them and you would get knots in your stomach, that's somebody you probably ought to reach out to. If the person that I'm in conflict with right now because I've, I've, I've reached out and reached out and reached out, if that person were to walk in I would truly be happy that they were here. Because I, I could go and I could embrace them and say, man, I'm so glad you're here. I've, I, I've left you some messages. When can we talk? I wouldn't, I, I'm not bound up by that person. I'm free. Doesn't matter who the conflict is with. Boss, spouse, co-worker, friend, no matter no matter who it is, you need to take the initiative. Friends, conflict is never resolved accidentally. It, it doesn't just go away. Jesus says, you go. Don't wait on them. You leave your gift and you go. You don't ignore the conflict. You don't take the flight option where you avoid it. You take the fight option. You put forth a determined effort. And you move toward the conflict as far as it depends on you. So that's the first point. We got four more. Uh, and I got ten minutes. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll go quickly. Um, first, we take the, in- the initiative. Second, if we're going to fight well, we need to own our part of the conflict. Our natural inclination is to blame others and focus on what they did wrong. And we see this from the very beginning in Adam and Eve. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and God came and found Adam and Adam and, and God said, why are you hiding? And Adam said, um, well, it was the woman. 
that you gave me. In other words, it's not my fault, it's her fault. And in fact, God, it's your fault because you gave her to me. We, we just, it's always somebody else's fault. Uh, Rick Warren, I love what Rick Warren says about this. He says, you spell blame, be lame. Because anytime you're blaming, you're being lame. And so even if 99% of the issue is really the fault of the other person and you only got 1%, you need to own that 1%. Jesus talks about this a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's this plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Friends, this is humility. This is the choice that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's owning my part of the conflict. And friends, humility is key if you want to break relational log relational log jams. Here's a sentence that I guarantee you will help you break relational log jams. Ready? You might want to write this down. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. I guarantee you, if you use that phrase... It opens the door for reconciliation to happen. And let me just add here that when you're owning your part of the conflict, you need to avoid the words if, but, and maybe. I'm sorry if I upset you. What? (laughs) They're upset. It's not if. Yes, you did upset them. I'm really sorry that I was so insensitive to you, but I was tired. And if you hadn't done what you did, that's, that's not owning it. That's saying, really, it's your fault. Um, I'm really sorry I hurt you. Maybe I could have been more loving. Maybe? Really? If you're going to own it, own it. So to fight well, we take the initiative, we own our part, and third, you've got to listen well. You have to listen for the hurt. If you want to resolve conflict, you have to start with where the other person is hurting, and in order to do that, you got to listen. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You've got to listen. That's essential to diffusing conflict. Why? Because it helps you to understand where other people are coming from. It helps you to understand their circumstance, their perspective. You've got to listen. And friends, this one verse... This one verse, if you put this one verse into practice in your life, it will save you thousands in counseling. Guaranteed. When you have this verse in mind, it gives you the ability to better 
understand and appreciate the other person's interests. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Here's the fourth thing. To fight well, you need to tell the truth tactfully. Ephesians 4 says, speak the truth in love. We are never to use the truth as a club. It may be true, but you don't beat somebody up with it. We're to speak the truth in love. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. If if you can't be tactful when you tell the truth, then the truth is not going to be received. You've got to be... You've got to guard your tongue well. Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. Um, everybody, every couple that I counsel, premaritally, maritally, on and on, every couple that I counsel, I have them memorize this verse. Because this will save you a lot of grief if you will just be thoughtful and you'll just keep thinking, okay, how can I say this in a way that is helpful and not hurtful? How can I say this in a way that is building, that it's, it's um, constructive, not destructive? Friends, when you put that kind of thought into your words, then what you're doing is you are focusing on the issue and not the person. You're focusing on how to, how to attack the issue and not attack the person. Here's the last thing. If you're going to fight well, you have to focus on reconciliation, not resolution. You know the difference? Reconciliation means reestablishing the relationship. Re- resolution means we no longer have a disagreement. But here's the thing. We're not always going to agree on stuff. Right? We're just not. Um, we're never going to have resolution on all the issues. But can we still be loving even if the issue is not resolved? Dead quiet. <laughs> Can we? Yes. Great example of this. Come to an elder meeting sometime. Right? Ask Tim. Come to one of our elder meetings, any one of our elder meetings, because every, I won't say every, almost every time, we have some pretty sharp disagreements on things. And sometimes those disagreements are not resolved by the end of the meeting. But guess what? We still walk out of the meeting with our arms around each other. We still walk out of the meeting laughing and, and jabbing each other and, and just enjoying each other's presence. Did we resolve it? No, not yet. Will we resolve it? Hopefully but we're still reconciled. Because reconciliation is more important than resolution. 
And if you don't believe that, just look at the cross. Just look at the cross. Friends, one of the ways that we look the most like Jesus is when we are reconcilers. Because what Jesus did is he took the initiative. Because there was this huge conflict because of our sin, this division between us and God, God took the initiative in Jesus Christ and Jesus came to the cross. And as far as it depends on him, he humbled himself and he took all of, while he had no sin, no issue, there was, we were 100% wrong. He still took it all on himself in humility because that's how important reconciliation is to him. In fact, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, he said, we have been reconciled to God through Christ and now he has given you the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't give you the ministry of resolution. He gave you the ministry of reconciliation. See, friends, if we will focus more on the relationship than on the issue, a lot of times the issues will just go away. A lot of times you'll get to the point and you'll say, now why were we fighting over this? Why, what, why is this such a big deal? See, because the relationship takes priority. And when you get to the relationship, the issues just pale in the background. It's always more freeing, always more freeing to resolve the conflict than dissolve the relationship. Friends, if you can disagree without being disagreeable, you know what you experience? Freedom. Think about it. If you can have unity without uniformity, you know what you experience? Freedom. If you can walk hand in hand without having to see eye to eye, that's freedom. You don't have to agree on every issue to come to reconciliation. Um, and some things are never going to change. And when you recognize those things aren't going to change, you just let them go. And when you do that, you know what you experience? Freedom. Wow. Interesting how that works. Resolving conflict. Choosing the fight. Choosing to fight rather than flight. It's not easier, but it is more freeing. If you want to take the flight option, that's your choice, but, but you will live in bondage. If you take the fight option, if you put forth a determined effort, regardless of how the other person responds, you will be free. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you 
that you introduced this new uh, new etiquette in church. That when we come here to worship, when we come here to give of our gifts, when we come here to um, to sing songs and to to participate in in celebrating what you did on the cross for us. All of those things are are very important. But Lord, you said that being reconciled with our brother is more important. As we prepare to come to the table this morning, I want you to just think. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to put a person or to show you if there's a person in your life that either you've offended or or they have they maybe they have some uh, offense with you or 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 maybe it's the other way around. Whether you're the offender or the offended. If there's a relationship out there where if that person were to walk in the back door, you just you kind of cringe in your gut. If you haven't begun taking steps to reconcile as far as it depends on you. Then I'm going to suggest that you you not come to the communion table, but that you leave. And you go and begin that process. And maybe it's just beginning the process with prayer. Maybe it's writing a note or sending a, a text or making a phone call. if you need to do that everybody in here is just going to cheer you on and say me too and Lord Jesus as we come to the table in a moment I thank you that you showed us the cost of reconciliation that's not easy that's not free that it costs something and for you, it cost everything. But Lord, that is what we celebrate today. And it is the power of the cross that enables us to go out and, and be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, as we come to the table this morning, um, we want to say thank you. And we want to say thank you for the, for the power that we receive in the, in the elements of of the bread that represents your body that was broken for us and in the cup that represents your blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sin and we know because of what you did we are reconciled to our father and i pray lord that that would be a um, 
that, that, that that would just be a huge motivation and a huge example of how, how highly you regard reconciliation. Help us to be reconcilers for your namesake. Amen.